three, two, one. Welcome to the Day for the Dog Trainer Podcast, episode 118. Today, we have a special episode. This is our first in-person guest that we've had, likely, in the last 12 months. Yeah. We're, we're trying to determine that. We don't actually remember <laughs> who the last in-person guest is. No. But let us introduce our guest, Kenzie, from Billion. Oh, my God. Billion. Billion. Billionaire. Brilliant <laughs> Behavior Canine Academy from the Texas. We'll just call it the Texas area. What was the city called again? Round Top. Round Top. I like it. Kenzie Walker. Thank you. Are you, are you so pumped to be here? I am. Good. <clears throat> awesome. Kenzie, what's been your experience of Cleveland so far? How's it been going? It's been good. Honestly, a little bit smaller of a city than I thought it was. Did you? Yeah. What was your impression of Cleveland prior to coming here? Did you have an impression of Cleveland? Not really, no. Do people talk about Cleveland and Texas? No. No. (laughs) (laughs) It's either people have no fucking clue that this is even like a legitimate city, or um, they really always just talk a bunch of shit about it. Because we're kind of just, you know, generally that's just like sports fans, because Cleveland historically has terrible sports teams, though the last couple of years have been okay, but historically we're at the mistake on the lake is what they call it i believe <laughs> is that yeah. what they call us yeah you didn't know that no the mistake on the lake i mean it tracks which so. i think is bullshit because cleveland's oh, pretty cool it's pretty oh, cool oops. sorry there's conflicting yeah, get out of here, no John. i like i rep like... your rep your your hood okay i like cleveland it has lots of great things to it yeah but you're kind of like a florida guy you know so i guess that that makes sense why you would you would yeah. agree with that term. Yeah, I came back and I was sad. So you know, nice. Well, Kenzie is in town here. She's been doing our shadow program for the last four. Today's the fourth day. Tomorrow's the last day. Yeah. Very exciting. This morning we went to um, a school in kind of the inner city of Cleveland and uh, did a career day. And let me tell you, that was a wild time. So. <laughs> <laughs> I've never, you know, what was hilarious is while we were there, when people kept asking me, they're like, "Do you usually take her to your, uh, your, your? What do they call it? Like going to the schools and meeting the children?" I was like, "Well, this is actually my first time going to the schools <laughs> and meeting the children." <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, I was, I was uh, hopefully able to inspire the youth to maybe want a dog train or maybe just learn that. Dogs don't have to chase you every time that you run because that was probably <laughs> the most common question that we received over the course of this career day was every time it was like we did. So it was six groups. I think we had like 20 or 25 minutes with each group. And basically I talked for like five minutes at the beginning. I gave them the spiel. Hey guys, I'm a dog trainer over on the West side of Cleveland. This is kind of how I got into it. And then, you know, I had to really play up that. And I tried to really lean into this the first, you, you could you could, you could joke, joke on this also because I feel like the first one, I had it in my head. I was like, I'm going to really inspire these kids to look for like, look for like non-traditional jobs to go with. You know, like mm. I really leaned into the, you know, I really, I was never, you know, into school and the idea of like getting into finance, being an attorney and stuff, you know, it just never really, never really resonated with me too much, you know? So then I found out that you could take your passion and you could turn your passion into a career and you could make a bunch of money doing that and blah, blah, blah. And I just saw these kids' faces were like, <laughs> like, <laughs> like <laughs> so fucking glazed over. Like they wanted nothing to do with anything I was saying. And then I was just like, you guys want to see her do a trick? <laughs> and they were like, yeah! <laughs> Jesus. That's literally what it was. And then yeah. I finally, like, once I got through, like, the first two or three, I hit the point where I was like, all right, well, I'm just going to talk for five minutes and just be like, just ask me questions about my dog. <laughs> and then they were just like, does she bite? Does she do flips? Does she do tricks? Will she chase me if I run? Is she really fast? Does she, just 9,000 different questions that have nothing to do with the career of dog training, but just are questions about my dog that you would assume a fifth grader would ask you if you asked them, what questions about my dog do you have? Mm-hmm. Is that pretty accurate, would you say? Yeah. So, I don't know. So, did you say, so you've done something like that before? You said you did like a presentation um, with one I've of your dogs done, or something? I mean, two things kind of similar. I mean, they weren't career days. I did a, um, one of my clients... They were starting a 4-H club at their kid's school, mm-hmm. and there's a dog portion to the 4-H, which I didn't actually know Damn, there was more. I didn't know that there was more to 4-H than just livestock and dogs. Hey, can you explain 4-H to me? 
I feel um, like I kind of know what it is, but what? I actually don't really. You don't know what, what 4-H is? I've never done it because we didn't have it where I grew up. No. But I mean, there's different. Do you know what 4-H There's is? different portions of it, but it, I mean, it kind of helps kids find something that they're interested in. So, like, the livestock is definitely the biggest portion, um, <coughs> or like activity, I guess, um, where you can have cows, goats, pigs, bunnies. And there's different events. Most of the livestock is just <coughs> showing and being graded and uh, competing with other kids' animals to see which one has the best one. But That's there's other cool. things. And this that is something you did in school? I think, I don't know if it's only connected to schools, but I think it's mainly connected to schools. Mm. Yeah. Um, but there's other things that I didn't know about. Like there's a fashion one. I don't really know how those are how the competition for those sure. goes there's like archery but there's a dog portion and they do like um a show they do agility there's a trick one there's a couple other things but my client just asked me to come in and talk to them about dogs and dog training that's cool so i did that and then <coughs> i did a halloween event it was like a puppy and dog and kid halloween festival thing wow. so i took my dogs and did a little demo mm -hmm. with them for that but that's all i've done i haven't done any like career focused things yeah. it's been more like fun stuff i am uh <clears throat> i am terrible at i don't want to say i'm terrible at it i i am very awkward initially with like being asked to like present randomly on stuff like with no guidance mm -hmm. yeah, you know what same. i mean because yeah. like like for example this she's just like yeah just come and you just have like 20 minutes to talk about your career and i'm just like I could go any direction mm -hmm. with this. You know what I mean? Yeah. And you got to look at like your audience you're, you're talking to and stuff like that. I had like a couple other similar experiences. I remember the very first time I was ever asked to come and speak at a seminar was um, there's a trainer, Tammy McLeod. She's in like the Nashville area. She's a very well accomplished sport dog trainer. And her and I connected just online. I had kind of chit chatted back and forth and stuff. And she asked me to come speak at her uh, trainers series seminar thing that she was doing down at her facility in Nashville. And originally, she's like, can you just do, like, a virtual presentation? I was like, I'll just fucking fly down there, like, and, and hang out and, and stuff. And she's like, oh, my God, that would be so cool. Yeah, I just want you to talk about working with aggressive dogs, right? And I was just like, okay, right? And this was also height stays. This was six or seven years ago. This was a long time ago, mm. right? So I'm still relatively kind of new at the game. And I was kind of starting to develop a little bit of a name for myself, right? And, and primarily with working with like behavioral modification, we had a couple of like really impressive turnarounds with dogs and like pretty good reviews and stuff at that point. So I went down there and I'm the youngest person there, right? At this point, I'm, I'm like 22 or something like that, 23. And there's all these just like full on adults that are there mm here to listen to Tammy, who's this well-accomplished dog trainer, yeah. right? <laughs> Coach them through stuff. And I just kind of sit, and, and she just kind of hit me with it. She's like, oh, David, do you want to do your presentation now? And I was just like, <laughs> uh, okay. <laughs> so I kind of stood up there and I'm like, uh, and I just started like rambling, right? And just kind of talking. And I'm like, you guys got any questions, right? And, and there was a couple a couple people that kind of started asking questions. And that's where I really personally really thrive is like in Q&A format because it helps to lead the conversation along. You know what I mean? Like mm -hmm. I'm just – and a part of it is my fault. Like I, I'm bad at like preparing for those types of things. Like these podcasts are always like on a whim. It's not like I have like bullet point things to go yeah. over and, and ways <laughs> to like navigate the conversation. So when people start asking questions, I could really take that and run with it very effectively. Yeah. But just left to myself, like if I ever do like a keynote presentation – like a fucking TED talk or something, <laughs> it would be a disaster. <laughs> but luckily, what really saved me in that seminar, because like my little speech thing was like, it was okay, I guess, right? But like, I don't think there was anything yeah. mind blowing about it. But there was this rescue organization that was there that was a Malinois rescue, right? And they had some dogs that they brought with us. This is a, was like a local to Nashville Malinois rescue. They had some dogs. They're like, man, we got this one dog here right now that is crazy aggressive, right, towards people. Um, you know, do you want to do like a – and I think I just said, I was like, you want to take him out and like work with him or something like that? She took this dog out. And they luckily, it, you know, it was muzzled and stuff. But this was like, it was it was not like a kind of Malinois. This was a Malinois, right? And it was a very aggressive Malinois. Mm. And uh, I just kind of worked with the dog for like an hour. And 
that kind of like sealed the deal, right? Mm-hmm. It was just like people were like, oh, okay, like he actually knows what he's talking about, <laughs> right? <laughs> and it was it was pretty cool though. Um, but yeah, I'm I'm so bad at that kind of shit. Another one, I did a uh, I was asked to be a judge at a local city pet. Uh, 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 what do they call it uh, in school when you do a uh, a talent show? It was a pet talent show for oh. my local hometown city of Seven Hills, Ohio. Oh, right, wow. so I had to go there, and I was the judge for it. They gave me all these like sheets of paper, and I had to judge everybody, and then talk a little bit before it, talk a little what bit. What were after. they doing? Nothing. <laughs> Literally nothing. Like one of them got on stage, and the girl just like carried her dog up in like a tutu, and was like. <laughs> and then somebody else like a lot of them was like the dogs were just like dressed up as things and yeah. that was their talent oh my you know God. Uh, and then there were a couple that did like a trick or like you know one oh man I remember this one this lady came up with this dog and you know this was like she was loving this right she had this uh, like retired service dog lab it was like an old lab right had the vest on and like all the equipment. She goes up and she tells this damn sob story. It was actually a sad story about how her late husband, this dog saved my husband's life three times by doing this and doing that. Blah, blah. It just, just really played into that story, obviously. Wow. Uh, which listen, I mean, that's, that's awesome, obviously, but she knew exactly <laughs> what she was doing when she got up there. I think she wound up winning like second place. I think it was me and like like one other guy that were the judges there. So nice. <laughs> so yeah, <laughs> but but yeah. So so career day. So my brain's a little fried from that. We'll just say. So, mm-hmm. um, Kenzie, tell us a little bit about. I I want to actually. We haven't even really talked about this a whole lot since you've been here. I am interested to hear how you really got into start specifically like starting your own company and like how that journey has been, how long the company has been around for and some of that. Yeah. I mean, ever since I started the process of becoming a dog trainer, Mm -hmm. even before I knew I was going to be a dog trainer, I knew I wanted to do something with dogs. I knew I wanted to have my own business, whatever that was going to look like, whether it was a daycare, a boarding center, a grooming salon, something I was going to be the owner of it. Mm -hmm. Um, So I always knew I wanted to own something and then became a dog trainer worked for someone else because I knew, right, I went to a dog training school, but I knew after the school I wasn't ready to be completely in charge of all Mm. the training and still needed to learn from someone else. Um, So worked for somebody else for a little while to get my hands on more dogs, get more practice and more learning from someone else. Um, And then once I was ready, decided it's time to leave and do my own thing. Yeah. Um, and so started that process, met with a, a lot of friends who had already started their own companies and asked them, how do I do that? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> um, yeah. Legally, what do I need to do? Logistically, what do I need to do? Yeah. And then just kind of jumped into it. And how long has Brilliant Behavior Canine been around for now? Almost three years. Nice. In August, it'll be three years. Awesome. Nice. And what would you say is the biggest thing you've... This is such a broad question, right? <laughs> <laughs> what is the biggest thing that you've learned over those three years in doing this that's a good question like is there one resonating point that you feel like man like there's so many nuanced things obviously to learn but one really big takeaway of working for yourself and owning your own dog training business for three years um well something that i knew going into starting my company was The place that I had worked before, it was fine, but I learned a lot of what not to do. Mm -hmm. So I learned a lot of things that I wanted to do because I didn't want to (laughs) do the things that were happening. So a big thing for me was being really transparent with clients and owners about everything, Mm -hmm. Um, especially when it comes to board and trains because they're not with their dog. They don't know what's happening. So if something happens, being extremely transparent the second something happens, Mm -hmm. instead of kind of brushing it off, waiting until they go home, hoping it goes away, hoping they don't notice. Um, So that's been a big thing that I've just noticed since I started. That was kind of my mindset of being transparent with everyone and noticing how much people appreciate it Mm -hmm. and Mm -hmm. recognize it. Um, And most people are good with it. Yeah. Obviously, you get, like we were talking (coughs) about before, some people get a little bit over the top when you tell them small things but 
Yeah. yeah. It's better to tell them than to not and have them explode even worse. Well, that yeah. that's exactly it, right? You could look at that in comparison to how they might react if you did try to brush it under the rug. Mm-hmm. You know, like a lot of the like real horror stories that you hear are situations where people like really, really dilly dally on not telling owners about things that either might not seem like a big deal to you, right? Or it is a big deal and you're just really nervous about telling them, which is understandable. I mean, nobody wants to make a phone call saying, you know, something's wrong or something happened or anything like that. You know, we're just updating somebody on, hey, this is the status of things, Mm -hmm. right? But like nine out of 10 times in some of those situations, that problem will continue to get worse and it'll be an even bigger problem later on. Yeah. You know, it's interesting. You brought up two things. One, um, you were saying, you know, you learned a lot of what not to do. And it's so interesting because... Every time we talk to a guest, I feel like when you ask them a similar question, that's kind of what their response is, you know? And it's an interesting way of looking at it because I feel like sometimes you could look at, I learned what not to do, right? And yeah, I mean, some of that stuff might be stuff like we don't agree with, right? Or we don't want to do it that way or whatever it may be. But it doesn't always have to be a negative, right? Mm. It doesn't always have to mean that that place you were at before is inherently really bad, right? Right, Or was doing horrible things. It's no different than, I think one of the first things I told you when we were at Edgewater the first day you were here, I was like, you're going to see stuff you agree with and you're going to see stuff that you don't agree with. And it's just, it's not that any of it is inherently wrong. It's just that doesn't fit my program, right? That doesn't Mm. fit the way that I want to do things and some of my philosophies and methodology. And I think like, you know, as I was getting started in things, it's the same deal. Like I would learn from this trainer, learn from this trainer, learn from this trainer, learn from this trainer. And how I molded my approach was by learning what things didn't work for me. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Yeah. And I think reshifting that sometimes can be important to help people that are listening understand like everybody's got their program for a reason, right? Like mm-hmm. just because something may be different than what I'm doing doesn't make it wrong Everybody is doing things for a particular reason. You yeah. know, I think that's a really important part. And then something else you were bringing up that you mentioned to me yesterday that like I think is so freaking important. I want to kind of dive back into a little bit here is you were saying, you know, you knew you wanted to own your business, right? But you didn't feel like you were ready to do it on your own yet. Mm-hmm. So you worked for somebody for a while. Right. Mm -hmm. And that's kind of like what you were telling me yesterday when we were working with Rocco, that fear aggressive dog. And Mm -hmm. you're like, I really want to get into working with aggression cases and dogs like this. But how do I do it in a way that's ethical? Mm -hmm. Right. And, you know, I I know we kind of chatted about it a little bit, but I want to dive into that conversation a little bit more for people that are listening. So when you said that, can you kind of explain to everybody like what you meant by that? Yeah, so I mean, I want to work with aggressive dogs, but there's the thought in the back of my head that, I mean, there's also a small thought of what if I mess this dog up worse? What if I make things worse by trying to figure out how to help? Sure. Um, But also, what if I don't help? What if I make no progress whatsoever? Ethically, I can't charge, I don't feel like I can charge them for essentially having done nothing yes worked for a good amount of time with the dog but having gotten nowhere mm-hmm. um that that uh battle of charging for my time but then not charging for no results yeah mm-hmm. and is that kind of the same what was is that a similar kind of thing going on in your head as far as when you were getting ready to start your business like how was that different or the same to that um no i mean i'd had plenty of well, you mean when I did start it or no, when no, I because yeah, when you said you were you want you knew you wanted to start a business, mm-hmm. but you you weren't ready. You didn't feel like you were ready for yeah. it. Yeah. Um so I think it was a hard thing for me to justify being able to train mainly like one-on-one sessions, train sure. someone how to mm-hmm. train their dog when I'd only ever trained four. Sure. I haven't had enough cases to know yeah. Instinctually what should happen right there because I haven't tried everything in yeah. the moment. Mm. So I needed to have the experience with a whole bunch of like one-on-one sessions but mainly board and trains of actually physically handling the dog all types of dogs, all types of situations um before I feel like I could coach someone through those mm. scenarios. Yeah. yeah. I would agree with that and I I think it's interesting because I think 
For newer trainers, I think in some cases, board and trains can be easier for them because they don't have that additional pressure of like eyeballs on them. Yeah. And you need to coach them through it. And you can kind of experiment a little bit and figure out what's going to work with that dog and then feel confident knowing when you go into the send home lesson, I've figured it out with this dog, mm-hmm. right? So I can coach you through it. One-on-ones, I remember for me, when I first started getting into uh, training, were always the hardest. And I think for that exact reason, you know what I mean? Like it's, it's so difficult to be able to do things on the fly and know where and when to make adjustments. And if things start going wrong, how to fix it. And, you know, on top of all of that multitasking of like communicating and developing a good relationship with the person and explaining what you're doing as you're doing it. Mm -hmm. And Mm -hmm. man, that could get so tough. And I just remember feeling very early on, very, very confident in the board and trains that I was putting out. But my one-on-ones, I always second-guessed myself with it. Mm-hmm. Like, I would get that, like, big-time anxiety feeling going into every single one-on-one that I would do, you know? <clears throat> and that took a while to get past. It was a tough one, for sure. Yeah. So. Um, yeah, I think that's... I, I think those are, those, are, uh, those are really good points. I think, you know, and we kind of talked a little bit about, like, the aggressive dog kind of thing, right? Like... The the one thing that I think is a little bit of a saving grace with it is when you're working with aggressive dogs, the training process really isn't that much different, right? Like when you're working with them, you're still going through the same motions. And in a lot of cases, you're just starting, your starting point is different. You know what I mean? So, you know, if I have a dog that's pretty stable and I need to work through a program and they're starting here, you know, I could just kind of casually move along this way, right? Mm-hmm. But with the aggressive dog, you're just kind of starting here. So you just have some ground to make up as far as developing that relationship and maybe mm-hmm. teaching some further boundaries so that you can go through the process normally. Yeah. You know what I mean? So that helps people a lot. I think the thing is, and to exactly what you said, is just that, you know, one from a financial standpoint, right? Like, yeah, taking a lot of money, because obviously aggression work, a lot of people charge a lot more for it. Taking a substantial amount of money for somebody to essentially play around with it and experiment is where you start getting into dicey ground, mm-hmm. you know? Um, and on top of that, I think I think it was I think it was Gelman posted something on one of his podcasts or something like that recently that I was listening to, where he was saying the same deal. Like, if you're taking on aggression cases before you have the skill set to do it, like your diagnosis of the dog at the end of the program could ultimately cause an owner to kill that dog, right? Mm. And that is a massive responsibility to take on yourself. Yeah. So you yeah. have to be so unbelievably confident. And I don't think that means you shouldn't take them on because everybody has to start somewhere with it, right? Mm-hmm. But being transparent with the owner that this is something new for me, you know, and I'm going to, you know, I'm going to give it the college try. I do feel confident that I'm in a position to be able to help you with this kind of stuff. But if I can't, seek out second opinions. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. I think being really transparent about that side of things so that they understand there might still be further help out there is really important as opposed to what a lot of trainers will do, which is, and this is even established trainers that might not have the skill set to really work through aggression cases. They try, it doesn't work, and they say this dog can't be trained, right? Which is just obviously (laughs) a little ridiculous. Yeah. Yeah. So... <clears throat> you know, and I think even even if it doesn't work out, you know, charging a little bit of money, I don't think is wrong. Obviously, you're you're paying for my time still to be able mm-hmm. to try to help you, and I'm going to be able to help you with something, right? Mm-hmm. But you know, fluctuating your prices based on the success, I think, can also be very important too. You know, a yeah. big part of it. Hmm. You think, Josh? <laughs> yeah, I was just wondering, you know, <clears throat> because I we always kind of ask the same questions on on this when we're talking to new trainers, but I don't think we ever re- really talk like how. How was the first year like? What did that look like for you mm-hmm. as mm-hmm. as starting this this business for yourself? That's like, a good yeah. yeah, a lot of learning what running a business is. Mm-hmm. Um, I thought I understood a lot of things, and I did not. Um, definitely a big thing, which I knew before going into it, but clearly didn't put into practice. Um, yeah. For me, which has now become a big thing, is taking breaks mm-hmm. because mm-hmm. I was. I still live in my facility, but my facility before was my house. Yeah. So I was really living with everyone. Mm-hmm. Um, and I went six months without oh. ever having a break from dogs in my house, besides yeah. my personal dogs, mm-hmm. um, or including them. Um, so learning to take breaks was definitely a big thing that I learned pretty quickly because I get burnt out yeah. way too fast. Mm-hmm. Um, it's like going to bed at nine o'clock thing. <laughs> yeah. Well, I'll wake up at 4.30, so yeah. going to bed at 9 <laughs> is fine. Yeah. Um, that was definitely a big thing. Um, I think, like, um, legally, like, contracts, mm-hmm. what to put in them, 
mm-hmm. I kind of had to learn based on situations that happened. Mm-hmm. Um, like we kind of talked about, like you can't just say it to someone and <laughs> yeah. then hope. You got to be able to kind of yeah. have the documentation. Hope they, yeah. they remember or hope they yeah. take that as word. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah. Have to have it written down, have to have mm-hmm. them sign it. Yeah. Um, and that has still changed since then. Oh, yeah. Fine too. Um, but definitely breaks and contracts. Yeah. Were a big thing I had to adjust pretty quickly. Is there particular situations you could think of that like caused you to make like a big change in like a contract or something yes. like that? <laughs> I'm ready for it. Let's um, see it. I mean, it's not <clears throat> insane. I had a client with two dogs want to do a board and train, mm-hmm. um, and it was a four week program. And so I had told her what the price was per dog. Mm. So my first mistake was not telling her the entire price. Sure. So I told her <laughs> what the price per dog was. And then I, at the time I was offering payment programs so they could mm. do um, a $500 deposit to save their start date. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. then the rest of the payment broken up into thirds. Mm. So a third at drop off and then we do a midpoint lesson. So a third at midpoint and a third at go home. Okay. So she came for drop off or she paid the $1,000 um, for the deposit for both dogs, mm-hmm. came for drop off, paid the one third for both dogs. Mm-hmm. We did our midpoint lesson. They went home. And then like a day or two later, I realized I hadn't sent them, um, mm. for that, oh. that second third. Okay. So I texted her and I was like, Hey, totally forgot to, to send you that invoice to have you pay that second third. I just sent it over now. Mm-hmm. She was like, I thought I already paid everything. <laughs> You're like, you're no. only 50%, no. girl. She yeah. Was, they weren't even at 50%. <laughs> oh, Jesus. And so she screenshotted what I had sent her, what the pricing was. Like, you haven't even paid me for one full dog. Yeah. So I don't see where you think you're done paying. You haven't completed everything. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, but that made me definitely change to put my pricing on my contracts because it was not on there. Yeah. Mm. And then I had another time where I had to add in that my uh, uh, deposits were non-refundable mm. because I said it on the phone. But they were able to argue that it wasn't in the contract. Yep. So I had to refund it. Well, we talked about that one, right? We yeah. had to change mm. like refund policy stuff like right around like the time of COVID. Um, because legally in the state, and I recommend everybody, you should look into this in Texas also on mm. it. Um, but well, if it's on your contract, obviously it's fine. Uh, but in, in the state of Ohio, in order for a refund to be enforceable, it has to be clearly present. I think I believe it says clearly presented at point of purchase. Right. Mm. So um, in our case, we were collecting payment over the phone for our program. So you called up, you said, hey, I want to book a program. We would do the same booking process. We'd put your tentative date on the calendar. I would say, all right, I'm going to take your down payment now, whatever it may be, and then plug it in and then send them the receipt and stuff like that. But in, in our refund policy was always on the website and we always stated it verbally over the phone. Right. And um, that is not enough to enforce it. So, because it wasn't presented at point of purchase, technically speaking, we had to switch to that's why we invoice everything out now before payment. Even somebody calls and says, I want to sign up right now. I'll give you my credit card information right now. You say, cannot do it. Got to send you out an invoice and, uh, and collect all the payment that way. So Hmm. yeah, we've had so many things like that. You know, a lot of it, it, it is so situational. And like, unfortunately, there's really not a lot of good resources out there as far as, you know, dog training specific contracts and agreements and stuff like that and why certain um, things are written out the way that they're written out and stuff like that um, to help understand how you really need to protect yourself in all sorts of different situations. Mm-hmm. You know, uh, it could get really, really messy with that kind of stuff. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. <clears throat> um, I think another question I had, you know, when yet again, starting out, um, you know, we've had a, quite a few people and it kind of, pertains to like the burnout right so a lot of people just do it out of their houses you know mm-hmm. they're bringing in a bunch of dogs into their house and they can't get away from it mm-hmm. and i was wondering you know did so did you have a facility that you started right away with or were you just right out of your house no right out of my house right out of your house yep. okay and then you moved it yep. to and did now you just I, like build a building on your land is that what yeah. you did so we oh, built okay. a facility that has a small little living portion in the back of it that I'm currently living out of. That's cool. And then once we have enough money, we'll build an actual house. Yeah. Still on the same property, like yeah. 30 feet away. Yeah. But at least I'm <laughs> in a completely different building. Yeah. Um, but that'll be a well, little while. Okay. So you have control of everything because it's on your, your land. Yeah. That's cool. Yep. Um, yeah. How did how'd the uh, 
what was your like influx of dogs in the beginning? Like how? Um, I mean, I didn't take that many at a time. I would yeah. take three boarding trains and okay. then an additional maybe three boarding dogs. Rarely. Really? I think okay. the most I ever had at a time was like nine or ten. Okay. So I had a lot of boarding dogs. And is it, was it just you in the yep. beginning? It's still just me. Wow. Dang. Yep. Do you want to have employees? I do. What's holding you back on it? Um, <laughs> enough um, money. But like, <laughs> um, I, I worry about not having enough dogs coming in to keep them busy. Sure. Mm. So I worry about hiring someone and having to tell them, you might have work you might not i yeah. can't promise anything because mm-hmm. i know for myself if that would have been the case when i was looking for jobs i would not have gone there i think an interesting thing that some people in your position could look into is the idea that i get calls all the time from people that are like i want to learn from you can i just like volunteer and just like come help out yeah you know i, I mean? actually had a, uh, a high school student shadowing me for a while um, and I told her right off the bat, it was not a paid position mm-hmm. and she was fine with that. She was interested in being a dog trainer, yeah. um, but got to the point that she was like, I want money. So mm-hmm. went and worked for a boarding facility. I think another interesting way to, to, to kind of look at like how you can kind of keep somebody around is looking at like a, uh, I don't want to call it like a commission thing, but like some sort of split you do as opposed to like a guaranteed income, you know, like mm-hmm. you could look at like, all right, well, you're going to get paid based on how many boarding dogs are here. You're going to get paid based on how many boarding trains are here or whatever it may be. And I'll pay you whatever, you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah. So they do $3 it a day per dog or, or some shit yeah. like that. You know what I mean? And come up yeah. with something like that where you don't have to ever like let somebody go or you don't ever have to worry about making payroll or anything like that. Yeah. Because if you're paying them, you're making enough money to pay them. You know mm-hmm, what I mean? Mm-hmm. I think that might be an interesting way also to kind of get some help because you don't need a lot. I mean, obviously you've been grinding away yourself, which I applaud everybody that does that. I was so lucky when I first started out that I never had to do that. I started off right away with mm-hmm. a facility and with employees because I worked for somebody for a while and we essentially absorbed the business, right? Mm-hmm. It's kind of how it worked. And we started our own LLC and company and stuff. Um, so there was already like an existing clientele of at least like boarding and daycare dogs, mm-hmm. right? We had already kind of made a name for ourselves as the trainers there as people wanted to come and, ser- and use our services. Um, and we already had a staff there that we kind of absorbed as well, you know? Mm. So I never had to like truly grind away. Like, like I had some long weeks of like working, you know, 10, 12 hours a day, right? Like seven days a week and stuff like that. But I was always able to like walk away from it in the end of the day and like mm-hmm. give myself that automatic break. Mm. And it's funny because I tell the story all the time. When we first got that space that we're in right now, uh, when I first got that space, I lived upstairs. Upstairs was my apartment, right? So like mm-hmm. the training room, for example, was my bedroom. Mm-hmm. That little room before was like my walk-in closet. And that hallway was like my apartment. And then mm-hmm. the break room was my office, right? <clears throat> and I remember when we first moved in there, um, there was not really any employees that were going to help out at that space. Like we had one girl that was going to start, but she wasn't like fully started yet. So I was in charge of everything there all the time. And I remember day one sitting there just realizing like, what did I just get myself into? <laughs> like having like a complete, just like, like panic attack for like one day. <laughs> <laughs> so, so yeah. I applaud that. Like, I, you know, obviously you got to grind it away, you know? Um, but I, I, I really, I luckily never, I never had to do that. Yeah. <clears throat> just not being able to get away. Like, yeah. Yeah. Like at least now, you know, like you said, there's a you can walk away yeah. <laughs> at least like you know, a few hundred feet to your at, yeah. actual mm-hmm. house you know it's like yeah. you're not just stuck in there constantly like especially for you yeah. i don't know when you were i mean living. i get the i get the appeal you know what i mean like i mean yeah. you figure like let's say you just have one employee and you're paying that employee you know 12 dollars an hour 14 dollars an hour it's like you start doing the math it's like damn i could have an extra you know 20 grand in my pocket every year right mm-hmm. yeah no, that's <laughs> but true. it's like god like i'd much rather pay that and just have the peace of mind <laughs> <laughs> yeah so that that's ours probably I mean, we talk all the time do you are you familiar do you know uh do you know tyler mudo mm-hmm. yeah so tyler was on the podcast and we talked a lot about like just trainer issues because he does a lot of trainer coaching now that's like his mm-hmm. primary gig um, and he talked a lot about just like common things he sees with people. And that's the number one he said is just burnout. It's like yeah. everybody's burning themselves out yep. and they're burning themselves out, which is causing them to do stupid things, which is causing them to make a bad name for the industry, which is causing them to get into trouble. Mm-hmm. <laughs> right. 
Uh, it is all starting with the burnout side of things. Yeah. Yeah, yeah I think I've kind of learned, because most of my programs are like three or four weeks. Yeah. So I take six, eight weeks on and then like a week off Yeah. and then go back to that. Mm. Which is the way to do it. I mean, a lot of people I know that do in-house stuff that have been doing it for like a prolonged period of time. That's how they do it. Mm-hmm. You know, they take like, and, and the one guy I know that he's in North Carolina, um, Dave Meyer, he's an Allegiant canine. Um, he, he does like way longer. I mean, he'll do like, like a couple months on and then like a full month off and then mm-hmm. like a couple months on or a full month off. And he'll just like get off the grid for like a month mm-hmm. and just like go take his dogs, like hiking in the mountains somewhere or some shit like that, you know? Yeah. Which that also sounds very appealing. You know what I mean? Like, but after like a week, two weeks of not working, I can't sit anymore. I need to yeah, go do something. So yeah. I feel like a week, maybe two weeks is plenty of time yeah. and then I'm ready to work again. Yeah. I would agree with that. I remember the longest I was ever out of town so far was like when we went on our honeymoon and we were gone for two weeks. And by the end of those two weeks, I was itching, mm. itching to do something. Mm. That's why I told you, like I was like scheduling shit. Like I'm like texting everybody. <laughs> and, like, I, I actually worked pretty hard on that. Yeah. Honeymoon. Sorry, Kate. <laughs> <laughs> uh, well, so now like uh, what's your influx? I guess now three years. Same. Still the same? Yep. Okay. Yeah, I think three board and train dogs at a time is plenty for me. I think any more than that would be a lot. Yeah. yeah where lot. I worked before, we each of the trainers had about 15 dogs each. Ooh, <laughs> damn. It yeah. was... It was way too much. Yeah, Damn. I didn't. I didn't like that much stress on myself. No. But also, there wasn't enough time in a day to work all of the dogs. It is physically impossible to do a good session a day with fifteen dogs. Yes, that it is was. not. That's literally not possible. No, they weren't good sessions. They were very short. Yeah. We didn't get very far. I mean, they weren't promised much. They were there yeah. for three or four weeks, but the go homes were always. Terrible. I needed way more time yeah. with this dog. Um, mm-hmm. But I didn't like how long the dogs were in their runs. I didn't yeah. like how far they did not get. Mm-hmm. Um, so I found that three dogs is enough for me if I'm doing board and trains and other stuff. I think if I was just doing board and trains, I could maybe take another one or two. Yeah. But I that's, think uh, that's a good When number. you look at you're actually caring for the dogs on top of training them, mm-hmm. three is even three is kind of a lot. You know, yeah. I mean, yeah. it's very doable, but that's that's a lot of stress on yourself to get a lot of that done. Yeah. You know, like our board and train trainers get between five and six, but mm-hmm. like their only job is come in and do the board and trains. Yeah. yeah. Well, and what's hard with where I live now is I'm so far from everything. So yeah. if I want to take them on outings, that's the entire day is taking one dog on an outing yeah. Yeah. to drive 45 minutes what to get somewhere. What kind of car you drive at home? Uh, Chevy Equinox. Can you take multiple? Can't you take all three with you? Mm-hmm. Yeah, but then I'm leaving them in the car in Texas. I guess that's a good that's, point. Can't you keep, a good no, point. Yeah. <laughs> well, I, I would look at that like if you were to do like an outing or something like that. Like, let's say you needed to drive to an hour to go to Edgewater, where we've been taking the dogs or mm-hmm. something like that, and you could have three kennels in your car. You could get a, um, a they have like obviously temperature monitoring systems that you could put. Yeah, in the Yeah, I have thought right? about that because I have done that because my <clears throat> car, um, it'll stay on without the key. Yep. I mean, it's a push to start, but like if I don't have the key in the car, it'll stay running mm-hmm. for a certain amount of time. Mm-hmm. So I've had to test how long that time is yeah. and i have taken multiple dogs take one work them a little bit i try not to go too far from the car sure. in case yeah, yeah, yeah. they're yeah. working and someone walks past and breaks my window yeah, yeah for sure um, but <clears throat> but like I, I couldn't do like a store outing i wouldn't i mean i don't know i don't think i would feel comfortable no, leaving sure. them in my car sure having someone walk past notice there's a dog in there yeah yeah i'm with you on that people get real crazy about that stuff right now even if you're good i've had a couple situations where i've been at edgewater park before and had dogs in my vehicle and and i've had like temperature monitor uh in my vehicle and stuff Mm -hmm. like that for like hot summer days and they're fine like the car is literally running right yeah i don't worry about the dog yeah i just worry about everyone else yeah i had the the same thing uh happen to me uh there before uh where i had like you know somebody complain and then all of like the state troopers that work there are like surrounding my car (laughs) and they're like we have to just make sure everything's okay i'm like guys like the car's literally on like i open the door like reach your hand inside like it's cold like we're mm-hmm. good <laughs> you know yeah um which i understand you know obviously like you know people want to make sure dogs are okay and yeah. stuff but like god like yeah. it can be tough sometimes yeah because that would really be such a beneficial way for you to save some time yeah you know well and i've thought about that too if i hired someone yeah then we could do yeah, like two trips and we just worked four dogs. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Or do one trip and, but. 
Yeah. Yeah. Like even <clears throat> sorry, even if like yeah, like a, a Kindle Tech kind of position yeah. where yeah, you know, when you guys aren't doing the trips, they're at least taking care of that other stuff. Yeah. That would cut your day in half probably. Yep. And then yeah, and then if you know if it's the right person where they want to learn more, it's easy. Like oh well, mm-hmm. we'll go on the state trip together. And I'll yeah. show you some things while we're working the dogs together, you know? Yeah. I think that would be a great way to get a good, like, new second person in mm-hmm. on your And your I, I have thought about that. My only thing that's holding me back is they don't bring any extra money in. Yep. So <laughs> that's more money I have to come up with to yeah. then pay yeah. them with. But if they... It's more, the, it's more the saving yourself time thing and the peace of mind thing. Yeah. yeah. You know? Yeah, <clears throat> I think one one of my biggest things when I first started my company that was a very important hurdle for me to start to learn. And I would say I actually I went too far with it at one point, right? And then kind of like reeled myself back into what I think is right now the most happy medium perfect position I can be in with it is uh, treating the business like a business still, right? Like you know everybody always says like when you're you're starting a company if you're dependent upon in order for the business to completely run. I think Dave Ramsey says, you don't have a business, you have a job, <laughs> right? And obviously, everybody starts there where you are the uh, the, the guy on the treadmill making everything move, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. But at some point, you need to start looking at things from the long-term lens of, am I creating an actual business, right? Mm-hmm. Like, mm-hmm. am I holding everybody's hand too much, right? Stuff like that. And, um, you know, I, I had a time where, like, I really tried to step back a lot and basically get everything running completely independently, right? Which was fine, but the vision kind of went away. You know what I mean? Like mm-hmm. the, the, the overarching, like this is the North Star we're heading towards. There wasn't a person like leading, like if this is where we're trying to go with this, right? Mm-hmm. And not that everybody individually isn't capable of having their own motivation because things still ran, right? Mm-hmm. Everything got done, um, but just, just overall, like it just kind of got, everything got a little mundane, you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Um, and then I kind of, you know, obviously stepped back in really took more of like, kind of like a head role in a lot of the stuff and re kind of assumed the like training director role where I kind of helped oversee things a little bit more, worked with the staff a little bit more, stuff like that. Mm-hmm. And right now I feel very confident. Like Kate and I go on like a lot of trips, right? We're gone for pretty prolonged periods of time sometimes. Like we have two, almost two week long vacations coming up this year. And I'm very confident that when I leave, everything runs perfectly fine, right? There's no, like everything doesn't fall apart or anything like that because we have really good systems in place and stuff. Um, But, you know, when I'm there, I could still kind of keep that North Star and motivation going through the whole thing, Mm -hmm. you know? Mm -hmm. So that's one of the biggest things for me. And that just kind of bounces back to, like looking at in order to do that, you got to start looking at, you know, let's say you bring on a kennel tech, right? For example, that person isn't bringing you in any more money, obviously. That's right. just an expense, mm-hmm. right? That you're you're assuming. But it'll free up so much more of your time where let's say you bring a kennel tech on to handle the caring for the dog duties, at least for half of the day, right? Mm-hmm. Then you probably can justify four to five boarding trains at a time, you know what I mean? Mm -hmm. Which then you will be in a position to greatly increase your revenue because you've offloaded all these responsibilities onto somebody where your skill set isn't best used taking a dog out to go to the bathroom, Uh you know? That was also a big thing I had to realize because we used to have all of our boarding train trainers would like help run the dogs and like bathe them before they went home and stuff like that. And I hit a point where I was like, why am I paying, why am I taking this high paid individual and having them be the person that's potty running dogs, right? Mm -hmm. Where if it takes them two hours a day to potty run all of their dogs, that's like two more training sessions they could be doing if they didn't have those things, which increases revenue. Yep. You know what I mean? That's exactly what I was going to say. So, so starting to look at things that way, that was, that was the hurdle for me. That was, I think so massive to help Mm -hmm. like restructure what everybody was doing to maximize the skill set of the individuals that I had. Right. And you are the one with all of the skill set right now. So you should Mm -hmm. be maximizing your skill set at this point. Yeah. That makes sense. So I don't know, whatever. Yeah. I need to utilize that for myself. Yeah, Josh. Come on. I know. I'm still <laughs> lone soldier over here too, so I totally get it. <laughs> um so I want to talk a little bit about where are we at here? Let's see. Damn, forty five minutes already. Yeah. It's kind of flying <laughs> by. Yeah. We're so good. <clears throat> 
Um, so I kind of want to talk a little bit about here, if you don't mind, uh, like kind of, you know, your experience doing the shadow program a little bit. Um, I'm really, really curious to hear, obviously we've talked a little bit over the last few days, like what, I guess your overall experience has kind of been so far. And I'm not asking this like, Oh, you <laughs> tell me how great everything is. But like, what are some big takeaways that you've kind of seen that you, cause you mentioned a couple of things you're like excited to start to like implement a little bit and stuff like that, mm -hmm. that you think might be beneficial for other trainers in your position to hear. Um, I think definitely, I mean, I told you this the other day, a big thing that I've been learning has been stuff about myself as a trainer. Um, not stuff that I didn't necessarily didn't know, but didn't realize how big of issues they were. Um, <laughs> my biggest one is making things way too complicated for owners. Um, caring about certain things that they don't and will never care about. They don't need to care about. So making things really, really simple for them mm -hmm. um, is definitely a big thing that I'm going to be changing when I go home. It's kind of changing like my protocol for when the dogs go home. It doesn't need to be so complicated. The way that I explain certain things doesn't need to be so complicated. Mm -hmm. um, and I know we were talking too about uh, go home lessons for board and trains. Um, my general schedule for a go home lesson is we sit down in the office talk through all oh, the yeah, information yeah. <laughs> without the dog present <clears throat> then we go get the dog i do a little well we've already had a midpoint lesson at that point so they already have heard a lot of that information they already yeah. have had their hands we'll on the dog practicing some stuff yeah. um but then the go home lesson now they're getting to use the e-collar if that's what we've used um they're getting to hear a little bit new information, but they've kind of already heard everything and done everything. Mm -hmm. So I don't really do that much with the dog and kind of just hand the dog over to them and they practice everything. Mm -hmm. um, but so mainly changing stuff for the midpoint lesson. And I really liked seeing that go home lesson the first day. That was kind of cool how that timed out. Yeah. Cause that's the only one that we have this week. Obviously our next one isn't until next Tuesday. I don't think. Yeah. So I'm glad that that happened. Um, yeah. But kind of seeing everything <coughs> broken down so simple, which makes so much sense because that's, the way that I learn best too is yeah. break it up. Give me a little bit. Let me do it. Then add a little bit more. Then let me do it. Then mm -hmm. add a little bit more. Let me do it. Um, so getting to see that and realizing for myself that, wow, this makes a lot of sense. Yeah. This is really how I should probably be doing things. It's not giving them so much information because what I've noticed is people tend to focus on something else that we said during the sit down <laughs> instead <laughs> of what we're doing right there. And they yeah, get sure. really mm -hmm. confused because yes. They remembered a different portion that has nothing to do with what we're doing right now, yeah. but they have all that information in their head and they don't really know what it applies to yet because we yeah. haven't gotten there. Mm -hmm. So taking things one step at a time, let's start with this, got it down. Okay. We're going to add something else to it and then just kind of building same way that we would teach the dogs starting with a little right. bit. And I think you said that yeah, when yeah. I was talking uh -huh. about it, yeah, yeah. like not, don't <clears throat> give them the entire picture. They don't need it yet. They don't know yeah. it yet. Start with mm -hmm. a little bit, let them understand it, add yeah. a little bit more, yeah, yeah. let them understand it. So that's definitely been a big thing for me is learning to really slow yeah. down and simplify things for people. That's so funny. So that it's funny that you brought up that analogy that I was bringing because I think that was the first time I ever explained it that way to anybody, <laughs> you know? And as I was saying it, it's funny because like I found myself, I was like getting excited about saying it because I was like, <laughs> damn, I need to remember that to say it again. And I actually forgot it until right now. So unless you said that, I would have never said it again. It made a lot of sense. <laughs> so so the analogy to, to kind of get everybody understanding what I said, she, I think you were asking how do I get owners to not make so many mistakes? Is that kind of correct, what you were asking? Um, I don't remember. I know it had something or to do with that. Or like asking a lot of questions, uh, the same question over and over again. Something. Yeah, something I think it was lines. asking the same question over and over again. And you were like, you know, our clients are, they'll, they'll constantly do everything wrong after you've said it of like mm -hmm. repeating the command a lot and this and that. And mm -hmm. like, how do you help them to not do that, right? Mm -hmm. And first off, there, some people are still going to do it, obviously, right? But the way I explained it is like when we teach a dog something new, right? Our goal is to block the dog's ability to make the incorrect choice as best as possible. So if I'm teaching a sit, right, and I'm teaching it with a, a, a food lure or whatever, right? I'm, I'm teaching a dog to sit. I am going to give the dog the absolute maximum amount of help that I possibly can so that their option of doing anything other than sit is gone away, right? And I'm going to allow them to do it successfully a handful of times, excuse me, with maximum guidance. So if I look at that from the standpoint of an owner, right? If I'm teaching an owner how to do a bed stay with their dog, 
right? <clears throat> I'm going to literally hand them the leash. I'm going to stop them from doing anything because a lot of people's natural instinct, the second I give them, I'm going to tell them, all right, we're gonna, you're going to work some bad states now. And I mm -hmm. give them the leash and they're just like, boom, they go for it, right? So before I even hand them the leash, I hand it to them. I was like, don't do anything yet. <laughs> don't do anything yet, right? Just, just <laughs> sit here and listen for a minute, right? So I stop them from making that mistake, right? And then I coach them through, right? So what you're going to do is you're going to walk up to the bed. You're going to tell them bed one time. You're going to let it breathe for a minute because I know their instinct is going to be to repeat it a second time right off the rip, right? If the dog does it, great. If the dog doesn't do it, you're going to mark with no, give a correction, give help. So I've outlined the process to them. Now I say, all right, go to do it. And then I literally walk them through it in real time. So walk up to the bed. They're walking up to the bed, right? Now say bed. They say bed. Now wait a minute. And I always stop them. Now wait a minute. Give it a second, right? Because again, I know they're going to repeat it a second time. They're mm -hmm. going to be really quick on telling the dog no, right? And then if they don't do it, all right. So now what you're going to do is you're going to tell the dog no, give a correction, help them onto the bed, right? And, and just just hold their hand through it the entire way, right? It's like you're talking to, to one of those fifth graders, right, that I was working with. They're teaching one of them something, right? Because you are. You're teaching somebody a totally new language, right? You have to treat them like they're like a fifth grader, right? Mm -hmm. <clears throat> so then... As I've built on success with those repetitions of walking them slowly through every single step of things, so they've now done it successfully six times, I slowly start fading the lore. So the next step of teaching the sit with the dog is instead of a full lore and help, I give like a half a lore. And then I let the dog try something. And if they're going to make the, the, the wrong mistake, I stop them real fast. And then I help them a little bit more. And then I stop them real fast and I help them a little bit more. So maybe I'll walk them out. All right, now walk up to the bed and tell them bed right? And then they'll do that, right? And then if I catch them starting to repeat themselves, I'll stop them right away from it, right? And, and essentially, we continuously fade that lore until I hit a point where then I don't give any verbal prompts or any help to them. And they could successfully go through all those motions and they're anticipating what I'm going to tell them to do next and doing it successfully just on their own. Mm -hmm. right? Yeah. <clears throat> so whatever, long drawn out way of saying, literally train your clients like you're training your dogs, mm -hmm. right? You know as a trainer how to make sure a dog doesn't make a mistake and keep them successful. So that means you know how to make sure an owner can go through the process and not make a mistake and be successful. And if anything, it's 10 times easier because you speak the same language. Mm -hmm. Yeah. <laughs> so yeah. that is, that's funny that you brought that up because man, I was when I was saying it, I was like, damn, I was like, I've never said it like that before. <laughs> I want to talk about that. <laughs> but I think it makes more sense too because... As a dog trainer, obviously, like you said, we know how to train the dog. Yeah. But sometimes then we think about the human side. I'm like, okay, well, they're different. They're not dogs. So I have to explain it different. Yeah. When really you kind of don't. A hundred percent. Yeah, yeah. You just, you, you're training two things at once. That's it. And that's the benefit of the board and training is we've trained the dog so we can just focus on training the owner then at that point, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, were you going to say something? Um, nothing important. Just say it. <laughs> I was just going to say, you know Bob Ross, right? Bob Ross. Like it's it's like imagine if Bob Ross you watch an episode and it's just the final like 3 minutes and he's like, "Oh, look what we created. Now you do it." Yeah. You know. That's a good yeah. point. Oh, yeah. wow. And, and yeah. you'd be like, "I cannot, you know, it'd be like that yeah, picture yeah. right there." And you're mm -hmm. like, oh, "I don't know." But yeah. his whole thing and that's why he was so popular. You know, it's make it, it so simple. Yeah, so simple. Yeah. Like, oh, it's just these little swipes, and then yeah. oh, we have a, a happy little tree. <laughs> you know, but it's like the same thing. It's like uh, most of those people that watch this stuff, they didn't know how to paint. They, mm -hmm. you know, and then the people that come in, they don't know how to train dogs. So mm -hmm. it's like, yeah, take breaking it down because we talked about it before, and it's just like some people get so sciency, and, and mm -hmm. maybe even like how you were doing, it, you were like, here's everything, like yeah. right away before we even see the dog, yep. and it's like, oh. Well, let's take a step back and let's just go through it all together mm -hmm. in the little increments. And yeah. yeah. And, it, and like you said, it's like our brains are kind of formed to take information in little bits and then yeah. memorize it, you know, instead of just here's the whole thing. It's like, yep. it's like when you're or studying for a test, you know, it's like those people try to cram in the last like <laughs> two hours before the test. And I don't, I don't understand how some people can do it, but I, if I did that, I'd be like, I remember like two questions. That's it. So yeah. Yeah. Just breaking it down easy you know yep. is is just more digestible for these people that aren't trainers yep mm -hmm. yeah and i think that's something not that i forget that they're not trainers but i think sometimes it's hard for me to remember what is 
common knowledge and yeah. what is trainer knowledge. That's a good For point. sure. That's yeah. a really because good I think before I became a dog trainer, I had a lot of experience with dogs. I mean, mm. I worked in a daycare. I worked in a grooming salon. Yeah. So I didn't have like formal knowledge about dogs or dog behavior or yeah. mannerisms, but I kind of just learned by watching yeah. Yeah. a lot. So I kind of just assumed everyone else knew the same things, mm-hmm. which I sometimes catch myself still doing, assuming yeah. people understand all these little things when they don't and they sh- yeah. don't necessarily need to mm-hmm. um, certain things. But That's like when we were talking with that client yesterday and when I looked back at you and said, see the loading, remember? Mm-hmm. And, and the girl and was like, like, what's loading? What the hell is loading? Yeah. <laughs> and honestly, even that one to me, when I said it, I was like... <laughs> It's the same deal, right? That's something everybody kind of just understands what it is. Well, and then today when you said that uh, Vera was fixed. Oh, yeah. What is fixed? (laughs) Well, granted, we were talking to literally fifth grade. Yeah, I know. But but I've had had adults say that too when I ask them if their dog is fixed. (laughs) What? I don't know. No, that's why I'm bringing them to you. And it's funny. (laughs) To that point, it's understandable why why they wouldn't know this. But it always cracks me up when I see people say, yeah, I have a male dog that's spayed or something yes. like that. Yeah. I'm like, well, actually, it's not, you don't. I know what you meant. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. I get it. So, um, Okay, so the, the last part of that I do want to dive into. And again, we talked about this, so I already know what you mean, but I, I, I am kind of excited to talk about some of these concepts. So when you were saying, you know, certain things that, that you know, you care about, but the client doesn't care about, mm-hmm. right? Can you kind of elaborate on that a little bit? Yeah. Well, I mean, and I said it the other day that I'm now kind of questioning why do I care about them? Sure. But so like things that I've cared about are where my dog is in a heel. Like mm-hmm. their nose is at my leg. They're mm-hmm. not anywhere near ahead of me. Um, that dogs are giving me attention before that they're released out of commands. Oh, okay. Um yeah. Definitely waiting at threshold, any sort of threshold, car, door, yeah. house door, kennel door. Mm-hmm. Um, that one I would say is, and we talked about that one a that, little bit. I mean, that's an important one, I would say. But I have found a lot of clients don't care. Sure. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. A lot do. A lot care about the going out. They don't care about the going in. Yeah, it's the way you frame it, I guess. Yeah. But, um, but um, yeah, sure. There's a handful of other ones, but uh, things that I care about that I don't really know why I care about. I think mm. I just care about because other people have told me either that I should yeah. or that other people care about it. So I'm like, oh, they're a dog trainer. I guess I should care about this sure. too because I'm a, dog, I'm a dog trainer. When yeah. in reality, I really don't care where my dog's head is in a heel as long as they're paying attention to me and as long as they're not eight feet in front of yeah. me. As long as yeah, yeah, yeah. on a six-foot leash, they wouldn't be at the end of the leash. I really don't care. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. No, that, that makes sense. You know, and, and, and just, just overall kind of what we, were, we had talked about a few times over the last few days is is that idea that like you were saying like there are some things that are norms in dog training right now Mm -hmm. right your dog needs to know a heel position right Mm -hmm. your dog should be in place all the time in the house Mm -hmm. yeah that's another big one all of those types of things right and there's there's a bunch of others i'm sure we could sit here and rattle off obviously but trainers are telling you know older trainers are coaching to newer trainers how important those things are right and the newer trainers are just like you said caring about those things because they were told to care about those things who are then trying to push that onto their clients Mm -hmm. of these are things you need to care about where the client is the only one that's not going to just conform to it because they're told to, right? They're Mm going to ask themselves, does this actually fit into my life? And does Mm -hmm. this make sense as something that would solve the issue that I hired you for? Right. And I think one of the biggest things I have seen as we see dog after dog after dog come into our facility that have been through other training programs before is that that trainer was not able to really, really isolate the problem that client hired them for Mm -hmm. and be able to help them work through it. And instead had this roundabout way of all these things that don't actually have an, like a direct impact on their problem that they're having. It might work, right? But they don't directly solve that problem and they force the client to try to conform through all of that and it just yeah. falls apart in the end of the day. Even mm-hmm. if the yeah. client is very diligent about it initially, long term, they because they're not a dog trainer, they will never be able to be consistent enough about yep. all of that kind of stuff, right? Yeah. And that's why you get the lack of long-term success of Mm -hmm. then that person six months later is seeking out another dog trainer to try to help them with those problems. Mm -hmm. And that has been the 
root of what we've tried to build Miracle around from a training standpoint over the years is just making things more simple for owners to be able to adapt to, to have long-term success, and just more deeply caring about and allowing the owner to have control over how the program moves, mm-hmm. right? <clears throat> um, you know, even with our trainers and stuff, we've, we've had a couple situations where we've talked about like a client that's having issues with guests, we'll just say guests coming over, right? And even we catch ourselves sometimes, right? Like, oh, well, we're going to have to get through at least five of these sessions before we work on that. But it's like, why? Right? Yeah, there's some cases where, like we talked about, building a little bit of leverage with the dog, working through some other things, teaching some core commands, mm-hmm. stuff like that can be important. But in a lot of cases, immediately, I can give an owner a couple things that they can do and work on that will greatly help that situation right away from session one. Mm-hmm. And you know who I think was the king of that was Caesar Milan. Right. If you watch any of his videos, you can love the guy or hate the guy. But <laughs> when you would watch his episodes, he would go to somebody's house. They would say, I'm having issues with this. And he'd say, OK, we're going to work on that right mm-hmm. now. Right. There wasn't. True. We have to teach 20 things first. Mm-hmm. We have to do all this kind of stuff. He's like, I'm going to help you with that problem. Right. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, again, things you agree with, things you disagree with, whatever. Everybody's going to have their opinion on all sorts of different trainers. But that is a big takeaway. I think trainers should be looking at their program with is, is stuff like that. Mm-hmm. So I thought that was huge, and I was I was really uh, that that was that was cool when I heard you heard you say that 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 was kind of something that you were taking away from it. Mm-hmm. Were you gonna say something else? <laughs> I heard you do the, <laughs> the, the, the analogies, man. They're just coming into my head right now. Hit me with another one. Well, it's like you know, it, you go to get your tires changed, right? Where's and, he going? And this? you have, you know, a, a mechanic has a million tools, right? Mm-hmm. But they're not gonna just take every single one and try to get your tire off. Mm-hmm. They're gonna use the right one, right? Yeah. You know. Like they're, they're going to use the right tool. They don't just throw everything. And I think that's uh, the thing here is, you know, it's not that all these things that we teach dogs are are not important because it could be very important to the right the right case, right? Mm-hmm. But you don't, you know, this person has you know food aggression or something like that. Like, mm-hmm. yeah, they could care less if the dog stays, you know in the entryway before going yeah. in or whatever. Right. It's like, we need to work on the thing that is at hand, but you don't need to know the, every tool. You just yep. need to know the tool that is going to work in your situation. Mm-hmm. Yep. <laughs> I'm just an analogy guy today. I'm sorry. That's an okay one. Yeah. Well, that's an okay one. That's a little different because <laughs> that, that's a, that analogy, on the, fly. the problem with that one is that that's assuming that trainers are looking at a situation and saying, I'm not sure what to do to solve this, so I'm going to throw a bunch of stuff at it, right? And hopefully one of them works. Yeah, I guess so. I guess so. I think so. all of them believe and understand how their solution mm-hmm. will ultimately work. Mm-hmm. The yeah. problem is, again, are we going like this or are we going like this, right? Yeah. I think that's really kind of Well, I think, it, yeah. I, yeah, and I mean, part of that being what is the owner going to do? Sure, yes, yeah. Because sure. the owner might really no, yeah. care about the problem, but <laughs> yeah. they don't want to do all the extra things that they might yeah. not have to do. Yeah. I which don't blame them. Which I really just, I think that's okay. That's a point of contention with trainers a lot too. When I'll talk to them, they'll be like, they just don't want to do it. Right. And mm-hmm. I'm like, yeah, well, I wouldn't want to do all the things from a daily basis that you are too. And another thing that I remember mentioning to you, I think day one is like, you know, myself, right. I can only coach people through how to live a life with their dog in the way that I live mine. Mm-hmm. Right. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I could try to look at their situation and make adjustments to it and stuff because there are clients that live different lives than mine, right? But I have created my lifestyle with my dogs around making it as easy as possible for me. I don't do Mm -hmm. training sessions with my dogs at this point, all right? They hang out. I I don't know if you, aside from Vera when I took her to the thing, like you've seen Mm -hmm. my dogs a couple times now, and and you come here all the time. I don't know if you guys have ever really seen me put my dogs in a command before. (laughs) It's been a long time. Like, it's been a while because they just, they hang out. Mm -hmm. I've taught them what to do and what not to do so that I don't have to micromanage them. Mm -hmm. Yep. You know? So. Yep. And I think that was a big thing that I said, I think, day one, too, to you was bringing up uh, a video where you had talked about that idea that you really don't use commands Mm -hmm. that much because you don't want to micromanage. Mm -hmm. Um, It's mostly just do what you want and then I'll tell you when what you're doing is not okay. Mm -hmm. And that's basically how I live with my dogs. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's not how I tell clients live with their dogs. And that's also like contradicting in my head of what should I be telling them then? Sure. Just make it more simple. Definitely. Yeah. Well, I think a thing a lot of people, or clients will say sometimes is like, 
I'm gonna have to do this forever. <laughs> no, that's a that is a good that is a good one. Yeah. We don't hear that as much as we used to, but a lot of that might have to do with how we've adjusted our program. Yeah. Because yeah. I did used to hear that a lot. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I do this forever. Yeah. Like yeah. there are some things like like we'll I'll hear that with the e car. Do I have to use the e car for it? Yeah. Like, yes, you do. Yeah. I'm like sorry, yeah. <laughs> you know. Yeah. yeah. But do you have like just because it's on doesn't mean you're gonna have to use it. That's right. that's yeah. what because yeah. I think that's what people think when they think do I have to use the e car forever? Yeah. So I need to use it forever. Mm-hmm. Right. Well, I think yeah. also uh, when I hear that, I always think someone's asking, well, I have to use it in order for my dog to do anything. Yes. Mm-hmm. No, you use it when they're not doing what they need to be doing. And because you use it when they're not using it, well, Jesus Christ, <laughs> because you're using it when they're not doing it, yeah. right? You don't need to ultimately use it because you're consistent about setting that boundary. Yep. Yeah. That's mm-hmm. definitely it. Hell Yeah. I think this is great. Yeah, it's a great. Yeah, one. I know you got to dip out of here soon. Yeah. You got anything else you want to add in, Mr. Dobay? No, I think I'm all at, tapped out of my analogies, <laughs> good or bad. What about you, guy? Anything you want to add to this? You want to tell the people where they could find you and follow you along? Yeah, um, I'm on Instagram, Facebook. That's pretty much it right now. But I might add other other social medias. But Brilliant Behavior Canine Academy, letter K number nine. I like it. Hell yeah. All right, guys. Well, we'll catch you all on the next one. See We're happy to have you. We've yeah. I've really enjoyed having you here over these last couple of days. This has been fun. We don't get a ton of shadow students in, but I would say once every couple of months, we'll get somebody that comes up for a couple of days or whatever. So this is cool. I like you know being able to, to just ping pong ideas back and forth. And anytime I'm in a position where I'm like trying to teach or show or anything like that, it kind of challenges my own ideas a little bit and forces me to think outside of the box a little bit. So this mm-hmm. has been cool. I'm, I've, been, I've been happy to have you here. So. Thanks. And it's been it's, good. It's nice to have a, a guest here. Exactly. You know, the Zoom thing's cool. In the but, chair. Yeah, in the chair is in nice, the you know. Chair. <laughs> so hell yeah. All right. We'll catch you guys next time. See ya.